1: You have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host.
2: Welcome back to United Through Time and to part three of episode four, Ernest Magnol. We left the action last time when Manchester United had just won their first ever FA Cup. We'll rejoin it exactly from there. Enjoy. When United returned to action next season as FA Cup champions, and they finished 13th in the league by the way, they'd already been through a huge amount of controversy. Only days and weeks before the start of the season, the players' union and its relationship with the Football Association left Manchester United without any players and any prospects of playing matches. More on that comes in future episodes when we look at Charlie Roberts and Billy Meredith. What you need to know for now is that Ernest Magnol basically supported his players' endeavours to get the wage cap of £4 abolished. Everyone at United did, really. John Henry Davies was president of United and president of the Players' Union. Charlie Roberts and Billy Meredith found it. Meetings were initially held at Harry Stafford's Imperial Hotel. Thomas Blackstock, a United player, had died while playing in red only a couple of years previously. He was the third player with whom Billy Meredith played that had died playing football. The players' demands were fair. Concerned that the union was going to link up with the wider union movement in the country, the Football Association tried to rid themselves of this issue. Most players adhered, but United refused, encouraging a few more from other clubs to do the same. United, as a club, suspended the players' Whether this was a matter of them having to do so, which would be a reasonable excuse, or the club being not completely supportive, we can't say. I'd like to think it was the former, given the involvement of Davies and others in the players' union. The FA, for their part, suspended all players who were members of the players' union. And so, Roberts, sticking with his membership, organised for United to train at the Manchester Athletic Ground in Fallafield. A photographer came to capture the event for the papers on the third or fourth day. As he took his photo, Roberts scrawled the name Outcasts FC onto a piece of wood or chalkboard and the famous name was born. The FA soon revoked the ban as players from Newcastle, Oldham and Everton rejoined the union and announced their support. The maximum wage, though, stayed in place until the 1960s. Not only that, but the players' union lost their bargaining tool, much to the frustration of Roberts and Meredith, who now had to commit to not submitting their union to the country's wider network of trade unions. And so on September the 1st, Ernest Magnol put out his FA Cup champions onto the pitch at Bank Street. Old Trafford was not quite finished yet, but it was certainly on the horizon and was perhaps a little distracting. United beat Bradford 1-0 in front of 12,000 on the opening day and in the same week they beat Bury 2-0, Notts County 2-1. Jimmy Turnbull and George Wall shared the five goals between them and will be the two scorers again in a 2-2 away draw at Tottenham Hotspur. United didn't win another game until mid-October but after a 2-0 home win to Villa, they were fifth in the league and only a point off the top. Unlike in previous years when United had won the league, for example, there was no clear runaway for the title and so United and Ernest Magno steadily built up a rhythm, winning five in a row as Sandy Turnbull regained form and recovered from injury. Magnol had made some more signings, but few had the quality of his previous purchases. Tom Homer scored his first league goals for the club in November and he did manage 18-17 games that season. And it was needed because Harold House would only manage six, Sandy Turnbull's total was 13 and in the championship season in comparison, Turnbull had scored 27. United were level at the top on November 13th despite these weaknesses behind Blackburn on goal difference, having played a game more. Exactly one month later and United had dropped from top to eighth. They'd played three more games but gained no points and had been leapfrogged by Newcastle, Villa, Liverpool and a few others. There was little to shout about, but a new arena was on the horizon, the United ground at Old Trafford. After winning the league and the cup, Magno now had the honour of moving Manchester United into their grand new home. Was it an honour? Yes, but he deserved it. Not just for his guidance to trophies, his signings and his outstanding management, but because it was his ambition which matched that of J.H. Davies that pushed United to invest so heavily in a stadium so incredible.:
3: That Mangold's ambition pushed the club into the move to, to Stretford. And, and I think Davis, I think Davis was actually from Stretford, so he would have, you know, he would have helped in the in the identification of the site. But rather like Ferguson in the in the Edwards years, push, push, push from the manager uh, towards getting a a ground that would live up to to Manchester United's ambition and the kind of scale
4: that the the size of Manchester population permitted. He was significantly responsible for it, actually, you know, the building of Old Trafford. He was he was a key figure behind that.
2: On February 9th, the Football Association met to discuss the financial management, or mismanagement really, of Manchester United. They had previously argued that the investment into the club by John Henry Davies would leave United as an unsustainable business. They were basically right, and would soon impose some regulations on how Davies could run the club, which would lead to the decline of this great team. On the 19th of February, United finally moved into their new ground, midway through the season. For more on that grand day, listen to part two of the John Henry Davies episode. Davies had vowed to build the most impressive stadium in the British Empire, restaurants, lifts and bars included. The most handsomest, the most spacious, the most remarkable arena I have ever seen. As a football ground, it is unrivalled anywhere in the world, said one reporter in the Sporting Chronicle. Liverpool were the visitors for the first day and they left with a 4-3 victory and the two points. But Manchester was now the capital of football with the finest stadium in the world. It had been designed by Archibald Leach, the famous architect. After losing to Liverpool, United did settle into their new home, beating Sheffield United and starting an unbeaten run at home that lasted some months. Success was to continue in those months, even though the 1909-10 season itself hadn't been filled with thrills. It did, though, end with a 4-1 trouncing of Middlesbrough, where Jack Picken scored all four goals. The season ended at the end of April, and within a week, King Edward had died and George V replaced him. Over the summer, Charles Rolls crossed the Channel twice in a plane without landing, becoming the first man to do so, and the first man to cross the Channel at all in a plane built in Britain. A fair crop of new signatures came into Manchester United, some never really played for the first team, but the important signings were those of Enoch West, known as Knocker West, and Hugh Edmonds, a goalkeeper who rotated with Harry Modger pretty regularly. Others who were signed wouldn't really make an impact for some years. Leslie Hofton, for example, started a few games but became more important later on. James Hodge, a halfback from Stenhouse Muir, only played twice in the 1910 11 season, but would go on to be a regular for United, In later years,
5: United are in debt to their scout, Louis Rocker.
2: One United covering journalist later wrote. West was a real season-changing signing. Sandy Turnbull's goal-scoring rate had declined. Meredith was never a pure goal-scorer. Jimmy Turnbull had been sold to Bradford Park Avenue, and Harold House had only once before scored more than six times in a season. Charlie Roberts was excited by the prospect of Enoch Knocker west coming in from Nottingham Forest. It was another fantastic purchase from Ernest Magnol and it came at exactly the right time. I have a great opinion
5: of this young fellow who on his day wants some stopping, as I have known to my cost more than once.
2: A journalist praised him as a
5: great player. In style, he is above everything resolute, forceful,
2: and thrusting. United opened the season in decent enough form. West scored on his league debut away at Woolwich Arsenal a 2 1 win, and he made it 2 2 as United returned home to beat Blackburn Rovers 3 2 at Old Trafford. In the opening two games, House, West, Sandy Turnbull, and Meredith had all got themselves back in amongst the goals. A good omen. The Manchester derby was played in front of a 50,000 crowd at Old Trafford. In the first half hour, West and Turnbull scored in quick succession for United, before City missed a penalty. Jones did get one back for the Blues. United hit the crossbar twice from Turnbull, and George Wall had a goal disallowed for offside. A 2-1 win in front of a massive crowd was a pretty positive day for United. It was a third consecutive win in the derby, and very significantly, City hadn't won since the 3-0 on December the 1st, 1906, when United had secured the signatures of Meredith, Turnbull, Broomfield and Burgess and the power had shifted. Dick Duckworth was named man of the match for that game.
5: He is a great player, an ideal halfback, and was going as strong at the finish as at the start. He covers his men so well and parts with the ball to such great advantage.
2: A defeat to Nottingham Forest at the city ground was United's only loss in the opening nine games. That left them top as Halloween approached. In London, the first double-decker bus began to operate. At Christmas, the pace picked up and even more so than now, a league title could be won and lost in days. United played on the 17th at home to Villa, on Christmas Eve away to Sunderland, Boxing Day at home to Arsenal and then on the 27th the next day away to Bradford. They also played on New Year's Eve and on January the 2nd. They won the first three of those games, with Knocker West scoring three, Turnbull, Meredith and Picken all getting two, before defeats to Bradford City and Blackburn Rovers. The wins brought a small amount of much-needed cheer to Lancashire, who had just heard of 344 men dying at the Pretoria pit after a massive underground explosion, which left only one survivor. As Britain entered 1911, United were second in the first division, level on points with the Villa. A win against Bradford City took them top, temporarily at least. A day later, the siege of Sydney Street occurred in London, the Metropolitan Police engaging in a shootout with a criminal gang of Latvian anarchists in the East End. Although United didn't win the title over Christmas, they hadn't slipped up too much. And so, already in a great position, Ernest Magnell's side put together a formidable run. They beat Bradford, then Forest, City, Everton, Bristol, Newcastle, drew to Borough and then grabbed another two wins. Knocker West now had 16 goals in the league. The race for the title was far from over. United were top, but not by much. Only two points for a win meant it was incredibly hard to really pull away from the rest of the crowd, making it all the more impressive that United had done so back in 1908. Aston Villa were the
5: great rivals for the league leadership,
2: but United were described as outclassing their opponents regularly. Duckworth continued his fine form, adding to his defensive work, with a string of assists, although they weren't named as such back then. In March, after a game against Middlesbrough up at Ayrson Park, there was much talk of Meredith's latest skill. He was
5: up to all the tricks of the trade,
2: and at one point, reporters seemed to write with a gasp.
5: He had to rely on a combination with Duckworth by means of the back heel pass. This completely outwitted Verrill and Weir.
2: It turned into a two-horse title race. Behind the scenes, as alluded to earlier, things weren't completely positive at United. The minutes of the club meeting back in November had stated that the club must
5: negotiate transfer of several players in view of the financial position of the club.
2: They were in an overdraft of more than £11,000, around a million in today's money. Just as the FA's actions in 1905 had begun to lay the path for Billy Meredith to cross Manchester from City to United, the return trip was soon to be made by Ernest Magnol frustrated at the lack of money at United now but that didn't stop United's charge for the title. Unlike in 1908, when they destroyed the opposition in the first half of the season, things were incredibly tight throughout. On March 18th, United, who were top, lost away at Notts County. Villa failed to capitalise and were beaten by fourth place Newcastle in a tough game away from home, and so United maintained a three-point lead. A draw at home to Everton on the same weekend that Villa beat Everton saw Villa move within two points of United while having a game in hand. If they won that game, they'd leapfrog their championship rivals. On April Fool's Day, United hosted Liverpool and a double from Knocker West grabbed them a vital win. Villa beat Borough at Ayrson Park and kept up the pressure. But when they lost to Preston North End the next weekend, United went ahead with a 3-0 win against Bury. Tom Homer came into the side and scored twice. Easter weekend offered the chance for the title to swing just like at Christmas and the race continued to entertain. Aston Villa beat Sheffield United on Good Friday with a 3-0 win and that narrowed the gap to goal difference. Magnol saw his title chances threatened as his team could only draw to the same Sheffield United that Villa had just beaten. Not only that, but Charlie Roberts went off injured early while others suffered some serious knocks. Villa played again on Easter Saturday the day later and beat Notts County 2-1. United now had only a one-point advantage and both had played 35 games. Easter Sunday was a rest day, but United were back in action on the Monday, with a draw away to Sheffield Wednesday. George Stacey, Charlie Roberts, George Wall and Dick Duckworth were all absent, and Magnell was suffering from some serious injury problems. These two
5: drawn games will probably cost Manchester United the much-coveted championship, JJ
2: Bentley wrote in a newspaper column on April the 21st. And the day after that, United and Villa would face off at Villa Park. It was the day of the FA Cup final down in London, but many viewed the championship clash as a more enticing prospect. 50,000 were in attendance at Villa Park to see United try and complete a treble over Villa. They'd already beaten them twice in the league and cup, but both games had been at United's home. Most agreed that the title rested upon this game. United were leading by a couple of points in the table, but a win for Villa would surely set them up as favourites because of United's injury problems.
5: It is impossible to yet say whether Roberts, Stacey and Wall
2: will be able to turn out, commented the Birmingham Mail in the build-up to the game which... Practically decided the issue of the league championship. As it happened, Worley came in at centre-half for Roberts, Connor replaced George Wall and Stacey managed to get fit to feature at the back. It was promoted as the thrilling Battle of Giants at Aston.
5: And as far as the eye could reach, there was a dense mass of spectators who were packed like sardines. In the crowd, there were many Manchester enthusiasts, for a large number of excursions were run to Birmingham during the morning, and the United were given a great cheer as they entered the enclosure.
2: Knocker West was returned to the centre-forward position having been played across the front line. Turnbull and House started as the inside forwards with Meredith and Connor as the wide-wingers. Villa won the toss and found the wind of immense assistance as they forced United into their own half. It was said that the Reds only escaped their own half once in the opening 10 minutes. They held on until Bash beat Edmonds in the United net from a cross-free kick. Edmonds had been sharing the goalkeeping duties with Modja throughout the season. Howes equalised four minutes later for United, his long-range drive striking the post and smashing past the keeper. Hampton put Villa back in front and Hofton kept things at 2-1 for United with a superhuman effort to deny Henschel breaking through on goal. Meredith was being marked closely and hacked down at any opportunity but he did manage a long shot which was parried out for West to miss by only a few inches. House went down the field like a whirlwind and opened up an opportunity for Meredith to tap home but the Welshman somehow hit it wide. Later he was temporarily forced onto the running track at the side of the pitch after reportedly swallowing the toothpick which he always carried in his mouth as a mascot. Upon inquiry, it was found that he'd actually suffered a blow to the larynx. Henschel scored a third for Villa and United looked done and dusted. When Hampton went down in the area and Wallace scored from the spot, the win was confirmed, but the drama was not over yet. Knocker West broke through for United. His shot went over the bar after a great recovery from Hunter, and the two tussled on the floor momentarily. As Hunter went to rise up again, West kicked him several times. The referee ran over immediately sent Hunter off, quite what for, the crowd had no idea. After the Villa players' protests, he sent Knocker West off too, but then pointed to the spot for an incredible United penalty. It was an extraordinary incident that baffled the crowd and left a sour taste as the 50,000 spectators left Villa Park. Howe scored the spot kick and United had been beaten 4-2 by their championship rivals. Captain Charlie Roberts had been sorely missed. That win took Villa top on goal average but they wasted their game in hand with a 0-0 draw away at Blackburn Rovers who had nothing to play for by that point. So Villa were now one point ahead of United going into the final game of the season. Before that though the FA Cup final had to be replayed. Newcastle and Bradford had drawn down in London and Old Trafford was chosen to host the replay on April 26th, and so as club secretary, Ernest Magnol had his work cut out to virtually organise an FA Cup final in two days amidst the closest title race in the first division in more than a decade.
4: There's no way the likes of Ole Gunnar Solskjaer or um, Jose Mourinho or anyone like that would be able to do what Magnol did then because they, he, the responsibilities aren't just the players, aren't just those, those sort of... Team selection, purchasing the players, those sort of things. It's about building a stand, buying a, you know, buying a a lawnmower for for the grass or something. You know, it was all of that sort of stuff. So it's, it really is remarkable.
2: All ticket applications, press requests and police arrangements were organised by Magnol. His role was so wide-ranging.
5: Magnol and his helpers have accomplished wonders,
2: the papers wrote.
5: Though the task has only been got through by an all-night sitting.
2: United earned about £4,000 from the cup final, 10% of the gate receipts. It was vindication for the move to Old Trafford, which Magnol had pushed for with J.H. Davies. He took the credit in the papers. There was, however, a bit of damage to the ground. All round the popular side, every window was broken where people had attempted to climb through. It appears gibbers were just as regular in the 1910s. One story was particularly brilliant, though described as disgraceful in the paper. One man leaped onto the back of the horse of one of the mounted police, and before the policeman could turn round, he jumped from horse to top of the wall and was over in a flash. Bradford won the replay 1-0 and attention quickly turned back to the race for the league championship. For the first time in 12 years, you see, the title had not been decided before the final day. Aston Villa were due to play Liverpool at Anfield Road and United hosted Sunderland at Old Trafford. A draw for Villa and a win for Manchester United would give United the championship. The last time the title had been decided on the final day, it had involved Villa, but not United, who were then still known as Newton Heath. The Villains had played Liverpool in a postponed match. Level on points, whoever won would be crowned champions and Villa dominated their opponents to become 1899 champions. And it was Liverpool who Villa played again, though this time it was United competing for the crown. Many felt United deserved it and would have won already had it not been for the absences of Roberts, Wall and Stacey.
5: We have had some exciting finishes in the past, but never before in the history of the code have there been so many vital questions to decide on the last days of the football campaign.
2: Promotion and relegation was still up for grabs as well. United destroyed Sunderland. They were without Roberts, Hofton, Bell and Wall, but coped in fantastic fashion against Sunderland, who had been the third title challenger up until mid-March. Lowe had opened the scoring for the Mackhams, but Turnbull equalised and Knockle West scored twice before half-time. During the break in play, the telegraph came through from Anfield that Villa were being beaten by 13th place to Liverpool. A cheer erupted around Old Trafford. Only 10,000 or so were present to see United become champions. It was a wet and windy day, but it was also evidence of the impact of the moves to Old Trafford and the struggles United had with filling their incredible ground. Howe scored a fourth for United after half-time, helped by a brilliant run from Meredith. The fifth was from Turnbull, who finished from a Meredith cross for the second time in the game. The Welsh winger got at least three assists in that game and probably four or five. Sam Blott had a great game at outside left, filling in for the injured Wall, and he'd been at United for three years, but this was his first appearance of the season in the title clincher at Old Trafford. Magno had just about managed his injury-stricken squad and had his second league title. United's five goals meant even if Villa had drawn, the title would have been in Manchester. After a sustained and severe struggle, Manchester United are once again the league champions. The Athletic news continued to say that this season was probably even better from United than the 1908 title presumably because the opposition was a level above since United had run away so easily with the title three years before Ernest Magnell's final achievement at United had been completed the first great Manchester United
4: team and it wasn't just a team that would win you know, one trophy and that's it it was a team that went on to, to, to win what was it, three trophies and you know be, become one of the best supported teams in the line at that point and it was an incredible achievement.
2: In 1906, he'd got the Reds promoted to the Second Division. In 1908, United were First Division champions and headed to Europe on a summer tour before winning the charity Shield. In 1909, United finally got their hands on the FA Cup and in 1911, the title came back to Manchester, though this time at Old Trafford rather than Bank Street. As sides go, it ranks near the very top of all of United's best teams. Alongside 1966-68... to 68, 1998-2001, 1994 and 2007-2009. to 2009. The newspaper stated that the title was even more impressive because Magno had coped with the injury situation. In spite of this, United had maintained a
5: high standard of play and no team has a higher conception of football.
2: Knocker West finished with 19 league goals and Turnbull with 18. Another of Magno's signings had paid off. I mean,
3: his signings were stellar. You know, that was just so much part of the game. Uh, such a dominant part of the game
4: they should have been primed to continued success but after being found guilty of dodgy financial dealings they were
2: manacled by fa sanctions and uh, they wouldn't win another trophy until 1948 in spite of those and we will mention them again shortly over the summer the country turned their minds off football for a while magnol helped old trafford to host the players union athletic festival Sandy Turnbull did too, carrying the large clock out of United's home dressing room and using it to time the sprints. George Anderson was signed for 50 quid from Berry, and United opened the season with a 0-0 draw against Man City at Hyde Road. They won only one of their opening four games before travelling down to London for their second appearance in the Charity Shield in its first four years. Held on a Monday, fitting in between the league's schedule, United came up against Swindon Town, the winners of the Southern League. It cost 6 pence to get into Stamford Bridge and those who paid it, and there were about 10,000 of them, were rewarded with two goals for every penny. House's rich harvest was the headline, as Harold House became the first man to score a double hat-trick for Manchester United. Only George Best has done the same since. United scored eight in total as Swindon hit four in reply. Enoch West was rested, and so House played at centre-forward instead of his usual position of inside-right. He took full advantage. Turnbull and Wall scored the other two for United, but House scored all six of the middle goals. Newspapers asked for a new term for it. The double hat-trick is clumsy. One commented. So
5: what is the special term to be applied to such an achievement?
2: He mused. United wore blue strips in contrast to Swindon's red, and it was the Southern League side who opened the scoring. Turnbull soon equalised. By half-time, it was 4-3 already, and House had his hat-trick. After the break, things were frantic, but it took 18 minutes for House to get a fourth.
5: A terrific, beautifully judged shot out of the Skillers' reach.
2: That almost settled things, but House was... Irresistible. ...and scored twice more. Wall made it eight and Swindon grabbed one back with a freak shot that bounced over the arm of Edmonds into the United goal.
5: Quickness on the ball, fast dribbling, swerving and hard, accurate shooting combined to make House so effective.
2: United celebrated a third trophy in as many years in London by once again visiting the Alhambra in the evening. Magnol will have left his players to it mainly. And it was that relationship between him and his players that was calling into question his future at the club.
4: One of the issues though that affects his his later period at United. Obviously they won the league and then he left the next season, right? And the reason for that was that he felt that either well there's two reasons. One he wasn't quite being supported by the the directors at that time, but the other was that those players were becoming a bit too powerful. And one of the issues that affects United from 1912 to, well, to the end of World War One, really, is the power of those players, because once those players achieve success, you know, the likes of uh, Sandy Turnbull and, and Meredith, and the obvious ones, and Charlie Roberts, but once they'd achieved that, that success, according to the athletic news and a lot of the leading newspapers at the time, player power started to dominate, and that was part of the reason why he chose to leave United in the end. Um, and that's that's a, a sadness really because he's basically given these players a platform mm. but then only you know 1912 he decides to leave that may all tie in with the players union and a lot of the debates that were going on around there because certainly United players were perceived as being, well depends which way you look at it, they were fighting for rights which is right, they they were absolutely fighting for player rights which were needed they need, people needed to do that but also to the newspapers into some of the more um, traditional sort of football voices, suddenly these players are getting power that they don't deserve, which is wrong. The players did deserve that power at the time because they were treated appallingly in general in football. Um, but Magnol,
2: this is where he, he sort of struggled a little bit. At one point, the players complained that Hofton was deserving of a percentage of the transfer fee that moved him from Glossop to United. Magnol was forced to respond with a statement. Small events like this were reasonably regular and frustrating for him, especially since it was Magnol's management that helped many of these players become household names. But by Christmas, United were in a healthy third place, three points off top spot with a game in hand. At the start of December, magnol had signed Frank Knowles, an almost six-foot centre-half from Stalybridge, as well as 18-year-old Saville, a six-foot-five-inch goalkeeper. United were doing fine, but were far too inconsistent. A lack of goals from Sandy Turnbull and Billy Meredith didn't help, Knuckle West scored 23 in total this season. House got 18, although a third of those were in that one charity shield game. Meredith and Turnbull got a combined total of only 14. George Wall scored only 5. United needed more goals. They scored only 45 times in the league that season, compared to 72 the previous year. A month-long unbeaten run ended on Christmas Day as Bradford beat United in front of a 50,000 crowd at Old Trafford and from then until the end of January, United won only two out of six league games including a 4-0 defeat to Everton and a 5-0 drubbing at the hands of Sunderland. In the Cup, United headed through thanks to a win against Huddersfield but it was followed up by a defeat in the league. The same was true in the second round when United scored five against Coventry but none the weekend after in a 3-0 defeat to Sheffield Wednesday. Consistency had been lost, but at least Magnell managed to get United to the FA Cup fourth round. But at that point, Blackburn Rovers won 4-2 and United's hope of a trophy ended since they now already sat 13th in the league. The season fizzed out to an unsatisfactory ending. Villa got revenge for the previous season's championship with a 6-0 rout against United at Villa Park. Sheffield United managed to expose United's backline too with six goals of their own. By the end of the campaign, United had replicated history by going from champions to 13th within the space of a season. They finished things off in front of 20,000 at Old Trafford, beating Blackburn Rovers 3-1. The crowd was a decent size, bigger than many other games, because Blackburn were the new champions of England. They'd already been crowned as such when Meredith, Hamill and West managed to beat their defence on the final day of the season. It was a disappointing campaign for a number of reasons. The back line wasn't as solid as it once was. Harry Modger had been a permanent fixture in the first league title and cup winning side but now shared responsibilities with the inconsistent Edmonds for some time and there hadn't been some proper signings for a while. Magno had brought in Noel, Savile, Mickey Hamill, Oscar Linkson among others but these were squad players. Even people like Leslie Hofton or James Hodge who were viewed as good signings were squad players at best. This was in contrast to the early years when it was Wall in 1903, Roberts in 1904, Meredith, Turnbull, Burgess, Bannister in 1906, Harold House in 1908, etc. Magnol was beginning to be frustrated by the club's debt. Harold House was sold for £1,200 to Aston Villa, where he'd win the 1913 FA Cup. He later went to Chelsea and became the first player to appear in three cup finals for three different clubs – in 1915 where he was on the losing side for Chelsea for the first time. United had to cope without one of their best forwards now as House moved on and it was perhaps a sign of things to come. A great team was being disbanded. The summer of 1912 was a turbulent one for Manchester United. House left, so did Harry Modger, his final game being the 3-1 win against Blackburn and the FA investigations that had followed United for a couple of years were having an effect.
5: No longer have they an unlimited purse to draw upon, and the result is a little ready cash would be welcome. Hence, the names of players like Roberts have been mentioned as likely to be
2: transferred. City offered United £1,500 for Charlie Roberts. United rejected. He'd end up going to Oldham Athletic for the same fee in 1913. Duckworth and Bell would leave that year as well. Blackburn, meanwhile, offered £1,200 for Knocker West. United rejected that too. Perhaps it was a late attempt to convince Ernest Magnol to extend his stay at United from nine years to ten, but it didn't work. In the third week of August, Magnol agreed to become the new secretary of Manchester City, replacing Harry Newbold. It was a hammer blow for United and an enormous shock.
4: And it's such a big shock. It would be like today Pep Guardiola leaving Manchester City for Manchester United Mm. in as much as... You know, City had been a successful team, and City did at the time were the the better supported of the two teams. But I do not won a trophy since since 1904, um, and this is 1912. In the meantime, United had found all the, had, had been transformed with the investment and so on, but had, had also um, won two league titles, the FA Cup, and, and and so on. If you can imagine the shock today, if Pep said, "Do you know what? I'm going to Manchester United because." They're the a more popular club because we're getting bigger support, um, and you know I can resurrect, I'll, I'll, I'll resurrect to their fortunes or whatever. The shock that that would be today, and that's what happened then. This is exactly how it was. Magnol had achieved that success. At United was said, I'm going to sit there. They got They've they got bigger support, and you just wouldn't, you just couldn't comprehend that.
2: To replace Magnol, former Newcastle player Colin Veach was mentioned. He'd had a dispute with his club, but ended up staying on as a player there until the start of the First World War. But away from the manager, the list of new players is very limited. The only one that had any kind of attention was goalkeeper R.H. Beal, who joined from Norwich City. He became first choice immediately and kept his role until the war. Magnol's departure wasn't instant, but the newspapers wasted no time in laying down the truth at the feet of Manchester United's fans. The directors at Old Trafford will find it exceedingly difficult to fit his place. Directors at the City Club are elated at securing Mr Magnol's services. They had every right to be so. Magnol went on to be one of the most important individuals in Manchester City's history. But before that, he had a couple of matches still to take charge of for United. He didn't have much to do with them, though.
4: There's a newspaper report I've got which says he was at the Manchester City game the week before he officially left United. He chose to go to the City game instead of being at the United. United United was... uh, I'm trying to think who it was away to now. But United, I think United was away and he chose to go to the City game, um, which I think was not to counter um, And then he managed United in the derby match. His
2: final match in charge was, incredibly, the Manchester derby. It's an absolutely baffling situation. The season had started, Magnell stayed for two games, even though he'd already signed with City.
4: Before the game, yeah, everybody knew this. City won the game. It's Al Trafford, City won the game. And, and one of the reports said, the happiest man in the stadium
2: was the United manager Ernest Magnol,
4: <laughs> and it's it, it's bizarre, it's, it's absolutely bizarre.
2: At the end of the match, the United directors presented Magnol with a handsome silver table ornament and to his wife a gold wristlet watch. John Henry Davies made the presentation himself and wished Ernest Magnol success at Hyde Road. He certainly enjoyed immediate success. The papers marked City out as championship contenders for the first time in a decade or so. Magnol guided his new team to win after win in September and one paper wrote that it was nine years since Manchester City commenced a campaign in this stimulating style. They
5: stand out boldly as the only first-class team in the two divisions of the league, the Southern and the Scottish Leagues.
2: TJ Woolworth, Magnol's United assistant before, acted as interim manager until JJ Bentley took over on October 28th. He continued until 1916 when Jack Robson, who had joined the club a couple of years before, became full-time secretary manager and Bentley stood down. Robson was the first man with manager in his title as United boss. For Magnol he did the same at City as he did at United. He didn't win the same trophies but stabilised the club and as United went from Bank Street to Old Trafford, he took City from Hyde Road to Main Road. The
4: big thing that Magnell did, which he did for United and he did for City, he, he was one of the key figures behind their move to their next stadiums so you know he he, he was significantly responsible for the move from bank street to old trafford and then he was the one of the key figures behind the move from hyde road to main road for city and that that was part of the reason why city signed him they loved what he did at old trafford not not just the trophies but the building old trafford
2: after Magnol left the great united team was disbanded duck rebel was broken up by 1913 By February 1914, the star Greenan wrote, It's becoming a job to recognise this Manchester United team. At City, Magno's new home, his impact in September had seen them tip for the title, but they didn't win it that year. In fact, he would never win a title as City boss, but he got them playing some excellent football and their crowds, which had always been superior to those of United, were growing further. So much so that, like at United, Magno had to push for a new ground. A cup tie in February 1913 had been abandoned due to overcrowding. Magnol as the secretary, was criticised for remarkably spending too much time with the team and not enough time on managing the grounds at Man City. It shows you the difficult balance of his role. As war put a stop to football, City had finished fifth the year before and Magnol kept the club going from 1915 onwards. He won a couple of wartime trophies with the players remaining and after football resumed, his City side again were very popular. 40,000 crowds were now regular and the same couldn't be said for United. Magnol was eventually forced to undergo another huge project, Main Road. There was too much overcrowding and the main stand of Hyde Road had been destroyed in a fire in 1920. That was the final straw. City had previously looked at moving into Bellevue, but Magnol changed their minds according to Gary James and made them go to Main Road instead. Meanwhile, he guided them to a second place finish. In 1922, Magnol announced that the English Hamden Park would soon be erected on the border of Mossside and Rochon. They'd move into their new ground the next year and in 1924, there was a final flourish for Ernest Magnol as his side reached the 1924 FA Cup semi-final, where a 49-year-old Billy Meredith played. City lost, perhaps as a result of having a middle-aged man on the wing, but that's unlikely because Meredith was still decent. The following year, Magnol's time at Main Road was over. He became a director at his hometown club, Bolton, returning there to the same position he had held back in the 1890s. He maintained a significant role in the players' union and was the man responsible for the founding of the League Managers Association. Magnol's achievements cannot be underestimated or understated. Consider for a moment how generic, how ordinary, Manchester United were before his arrival, a football league team in the second division suffering from financial hardship. And consider how United then struggled for much of the 20th century without him, right up until Matt Busby joined. That shows you the impact of Magnol on United. Can he be remembered alongside Busby and Ferguson?
0: Ready to pop the question? The jewellers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science, with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments.
1: you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host.
3: Uh, definitely a, a visionary, a, a, a little bit, uh, a little bit like Herbert
4: Chapman, um, particularly at Arsenal. So his, his big achievement at City was main road, was, was definitely main road. His big achievement at United was winning those trophies and Old Trafford. And so today we forget, you know, we can celebrate, as we have done, the 100th anniversary of Old Trafford and, you know, no doubt 110, 125, 150. But rarely do they talk about Ernest Magnol, and yet he was one of the key figures behind that, that stadium build. mean no comparison, he was typical of his time concerned with more more with club administration behind the scenes than in the fine-tuning of a football team. The
3: the fact is that he must be talked about henceforth alongside Busby and, you know, obviously because he didn't have the same longevity or, or trophy hall, you know, maybe as third, but definitely the idea that United have had two great managers probably needs to be challenged because it probably should be three.
2: Magnal died of cerebral embolism in 1932 at St Anne's, the town he used to take his Manchester United team to train before FA Cup matches, with the healing salt waters of the ocean and the bracing air. The largest and most obvious monuments to the memory of Ernest Magnal are Old Trafford and Main Road. Though the latter has now been demolished, Manchester United celebrated 110 years of Old Trafford in February 2020, you might not have a statue, but just outside of Manchester lies this 75000 seater stadium that should act as a tribute to United's first great manager and one of football's all-time great administrators, Ernest Magnall.
6: <speaking> Manchester United! Manchester! Manchester United! A bunch of Busby babes. they deserve to be knighted <speaking in> Ever they're playing in your town? You must get to that football ground. Take a lesson, come to see.
2: Thank you for listening to United Through Time. This episode was researched, written, hosted and produced by me, Harry Robinson. It's a labour of love. If you enjoyed it, please do share it with your friends in whatever way you know best. through word of mouth, Twitter, Facebook, WhatsApp, whatever. And if you've got a minute, leave us a review on iTunes. It does help. We don't get that many listens compared to other podcasts, so please get sharing. And if you've got any feedback, tweet it to at United Through Time. That's U-T-D Through Time. Or to me at Harry Robinson. 64. A great deal of thanks goes to my guests Paddy Barkley, Ian Gardner and Gary James. They've all written fantastic books on Manchester United and I'd recommend reading all of them and buying them. Gary has a new book out in April 2020 called The Emergence of Football in Manchester looking at the start of football in the great city up until 1919. You can order it now. Next up on United Through Time, Charlie Roberts centre half, captain, winner, fighter, activist, shopkeeper. See you soon.
6: seen? They are known as the Soccer Machine. They are the best. There is no doubt. So raise a chair and give a shout for Manchester, Manchester, Manchester united. united. A bunch of and fuzzy bits. They deserve to be United. Everyday playing in your town Get yourself to that football ground Take a lesson, come to see Wincentry by Matt Busby and Manchester Manchester United A bunch of bouncing Busby babes They deserve to be knighted They are the Busby babes from Lancashire Home as Manchester United!